Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a SAGE publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering and Cybersecurity program at the Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Our discussion today will revolve around the current state and future of endpoint security management. I'm thrilled to have Mike McNeil, CEO and co-founder, Fleet Device Management, as my guest today. Mike will share his thoughts and perspectives and also some very interesting findings from a study that his organization has conducted. So, Mike, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dave. Hey, before we get into the details of the discussion, the study, let's talk about yourself a little bit. Share with uh, the listeners some highlights of your professional journey. Oh, yeah. So I got into open source in 2011, 2012 or so. Did a bunch of different packages over the course of of my time in open source, but I built a framework called SalesJS for the Node.js community. And then more recently, I've teamed up with Zach Wasserman from the OS Query Project on his app called Fleet, which is uh, a open source platform for collecting data from the devices and servers that you manage. Okay, fantastic. So as I was reading the report on the state of device management, I found some of the findings to be quite concerning, but I'm not surprised. With the growing move towards a hybrid and remote work environment, you expect that more and more people will rely on their smart devices to get work done. Keeping track of all of these devices and ensuring that they are being used in a very secure manner can be a challenging proposition. So there are a lot of challenges that we're going to be talking about today. But let's first talk about the motivation for the study. Yeah, so we in the in the fleet, the company, right, because we're a company that built, built around an open source project in the community. We wanted to understand how is the problem of device management shaping up, right? Because it's, it's getting more and more complicated. You've got all these different cloud accounts with your AWS servers and your uh, GCP servers, which is Google Cloud Platform. Um, in Azure for Microsoft and many other providers. Plus, you might even have some stuff on-prem. You've got mobile devices, right? And and maybe they're corporate-issued or company-issued. Maybe they're uh, your own personal device. And the same thing can be happening with with laptops. And so in the transition that was going on, uh, a big problem that, that we saw was people would end up with like a lot of different device management platforms. Um, and we wanted to understand, like, what is the actual underlying goals here and how effective are, are people in this increasingly complicated environment at achieving those device management goals? Excellent. And um, you all spoke uh, or you all sampled 205 members of professional security teams. 
who are directly responsible for device management. The study is fairly recent. It was started on February 25th, 2022. It was conducted online via Polefish using organic sampling. And uh, when I look at the industries represented, it's pretty comprehensive. You all didn't leave out any sector. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah, we tried to go as broad as we could so that we could get, there's a lot of fish farms, right? Have IoT devices. Like mm-hmm. there's, it's a much more complicated regulatory environment, but there's also a lot of medical devices out there. Mm-hmm. And we were mostly focused on kind of the, the corporate devices uh, and the production devices like servers or virtual servers or containers. But we did, we did factor in some of the IoT stuff as well. Good to know. Good to know. So let's get to some of the insights from the study. Let's begin at a high level by discussing the overall state of device management. Your survey finds that organizations are struggling to manage a large number of endpoints. A quarter of the respondents report having to manage 250,000 devices or more. And another quarter of respondents are in organizations with over 10,000 workstations. The respondents also said that devices in their organizations are at various stages of enrollment and upgrade. While some organizations report having enrolled nearly all devices in their MDM with the latest operating system, there are others where not even a quarter of the devices are enrolled and upgraded. This means Many organizations don't know which devices are at risk, and that is very concerning. Does this finding surprise you? Yes and no, right? Because qualitatively, we'd been hearing for a long time, just from the contributors to the project, that we have so many different tools on the security side and on the IT side. Uh, We have maybe a platform that manages our Macs and a different platform that manages our Windows. We knew there were some complications there, but it was it was pretty surprising just how much how varied the the issues were. It's not like people are just, the only thing wrong is, hey, I can't collect my security data right from my devices. It's like people are having issues across the board in effectively managing their computers, and that's true in every industry. Interesting. Talking about managing the devices keeping track of the devices, I read here that only a quarter of the sample population said that their devices are fully enrolled and upgraded. You know, that's worrisome. Why do you think organizations would allow that to happen? So the organizations wake up, you know, it's not like they wake up in the morning and it's, they look around and they, they have this problem and, and they got here overnight, right? It's, it's, I think that you have, uh, you always have, even at a small company, maybe a few devices that are on, you know, Linux, Ubuntu laptops, or maybe you're mostly a Mac shop and you have a couple of uh, Windows PCs. Maybe you have most of your infrastructure in AWS, but there's just a one or two Google Cloud accounts. And I think what does happen is they, they start making exceptions and then they look 12 months later and it sort of ballooned out of control the problem. And then they start having to say, all right, we're going to have to really invest some serious time and resources to figure out how to catch back up for our compliance purposes or our security posture. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the use of multiple operating systems, multiple platforms, that's part of the problem, right? When it comes to tracking the devices? Absolutely. 
that and then shadow IT. So on this on the server side of the world, like you, maybe you have a a large organization and you, and you want to have an enterprise agreement that says like all of our cloud usage from Acme Inc is going to go to Microsoft, for example. But then there's some teams that end up just kind of creating individual Google Cloud accounts or individual AWS accounts, and those start to add up. And then before you know it, you've got a bunch of mystery servers that aren't tracked as part of your big strategy. Interesting. You know, another finding that got my attention where the report states, one of the best practices is to have a good bring your own device policy. And to be more specific, 32% said having a documented BYOD policy is a crucial best practice for their MDM strategy. And again, MDM stands for mobile device management. Uh, Can you expand on this? Yeah, I mean, so if you're uh, familiar with with Aristotle's concept of like the golden mean, right, there's one reality where you just say, hey, nobody can use their own device. Or if you do, you're going to have to like enroll it and all of your text messages are going to belong to us and like all of your all of your web browsing activity is going to belong to us, etc. That makes it really hard. It's a hard pill for employees to swallow. And then on the other side of the coin, you have what happens at a lot of companies where they start off and everybody kind of has their own laptop. And before you know it, you're 100 people. Before you know it, you're like 500 people. Or maybe, you know, this happened recently with the supply chain issues. The Apple Store in the U.S. or in other countries where you're going through resellers can't get you a laptop quickly enough. And so you're just having to say, you know what, it's been five weeks, like, just, just go get one, like go anywhere you can. And then maybe that person encrypts their hard disk using their personal iCloud password. And before you know it, you don't have access to the hard disk. Good to know. BYOD, bring your own devices as an approach has its pros and cons. It was interesting to read that 32% of the respondents felt that having a documented BYOD policy is a crucial best practice for their MDM strategy. What are your thoughts? So I think, especially when it comes to, well, I'll work, I'll work back from BYOD. Mm-hmm. With BYOD, I think there is, it's kind of like time off policies, right? You can tell everyone at your company, here's the process you go through to take some time off. Maybe you let your manager know, you, you put it in a calendar of some kind, and, and then and you're good, right? But sometimes you get sick and, or an emergency happens and you have to go around the process. And I think it's I think organizations are realizing that they have to have a way to support that and then catch back up while also still kind of having their best practice standard process for for getting devices enrolled. And I think that's kind of true across the board with shadow IT as well. Folks are folks are realizing that people are going to have cloud accounts. Sometimes when you need to get something done, people just go get it done, right? And they they sign up for the account without going through procurement or they they go and and go buy their own, uh, maybe they go buy their own laptop, right? Outside of maybe the marketing team uses their budget instead Mm -hmm. of using the IT team's budget. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of having a dual strategy for like, what do we do in the standard case? And then what do we do when there's an exception? And as far as the platforms, I think we're seeing a lot more convergence. People are spending a lot of time building custom scripts, trying to extract data from their MDM platform. And then they're having to go redo that same work for their other platforms, right? Or for their for the way they deploy things to their servers. And it's just, it takes too much time. Wow. Complicated. Moving on to another best practice documented here, which talks about measuring point-in-time compliance across all devices. Share with the listeners what you all mean by point-in-time compliance or real-time compliance across devices. So the 
I'll just I'll use an example from let's say let's say you start a company, right? And you and you're like, I'm gonna go sell to uh oh, I don't know, Bloomberg, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they look at your your awesome product that you have. It probably has a, a website where they log in and it has some servers that are powering that product. Well, one of the things they're going to want you to do if you're hosting the product for them is go through, in the U.S., usually a SOC 2 compliance. In Europe, it's a more usually a ISO 27001 compliance. And that can vary for different organizations and use cases. But those are the most common. So a lot of companies find themselves dealing with that first, really just to be able to, to sell um, effectively. So that usually is a one-time thing, and then you're kind of good for you're good for a while, right? You're good for a year or two. There's a lot of different flavors that get you different levels of compliance. But at a certain point, when you get big enough, and these days it's actually trickling down to smaller and smaller organizations, you start to actually have a need to make sure that your security posture is kind of next level, right? Like you're getting you're getting real phishing attempts like every single day. You're actually getting compromises happening across your fleet. And then and that's where the point in time compliance becomes bigger than just, you know, not only can I prove to the auditors that on this particular day, I was either compliant or I wasn't, which oftentimes, you know, the reality is that people aren't right in the middle between these audits, there's gaps, because there's always going to be exceptions, right? But point in time compliance is also also like a lot more valuable for the fact that it doesn't have to be a compliance standard that's general across the industry. It could just be that, hey, we, we decided that nobody should have their one recovery kits sitting on their desktop, you can enforce that, right? So why not turn on an alert that goes off and lets that person know so they can like remediate the problem or get IT involved to to help them out? Yep. In fact, vulnerability management is the number one focus area. As I talk to subject matter experts on this show, one particular expert emphasized that if he had to select one area where a lot of attention needs to be paid, and that is vulnerability management, making sure your devices are all patched up. And so when I'm thinking about enforcing that across the board, given the different types of devices, the different operating systems, and then people using their own devices, from a technical standpoint, Mike, how feasible is it to try to automate the process and take the action, the the action of updating you know, patches away from the user. And I will admit that I'm one of those people, when I see an update alert, I don't right away do it. I'm lazy about it, but that is not a good practice. And so how do you ensure that people like me (laughs) don't engage in that, if I may? Well, so it's a, I'd say there's two, there's two Uh people this there's uh-huh. the operating system patching right? yeah yeah it's a lot more invasive it's a total takedown of your system right and that's where i think that's where actually where companies want to start a lot of times because that's where you it's very easy to to report on generally i mean again you might be pulling from multiple different tools if you don't have a cross-platform device management solution but you are you, it's just one data point right you can say like what uh, how many people are up to the latest operating system for mac for windows and that there's actually there's a tool called Nudge that has I'm actually sometimes Dave can end up being just like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one thing that's consistently gotten me to update my OS in a timely fashion is Nudge popping mm-hmm. up its window. It's open source. It's free. It's by this guy Eric Gomez. It pops up a window that you can't close, and you have to explicitly tell it, "Do I want to defer this later for like three hours or so, or tomorrow?" And it only lets you do that I think a handful of times. Whatever Apple has built in, 
you know, it uh, talks about only letting me do it a certain number of times, but for whatever reason, it, it uh, didn't work. But nudge, nudge was how we solved that problem at Fleet, even just for our small team. I think we're you know, 30 to 40 folks. On the other side, though, for, for patching software packages, way more complicated problem space. And, and also because historically, you know, we were all in the world of IT, people were hooked up to physical desktop computers on a network or companies that would send people off into the wild would, uh, would have VPNs. And a lot of companies still do have VPNs. So a lot of the infrastructure was really built around this idea of network scanners, where it sits on your network and it kind of sniffs out all the devices and whether they have any vulnerabilities. But that's a lot less detailed than the information you can get if you actually have an agent installed on the computer, whether that's a server or a laptop. So that's actually something we've we dug into a lot with the fleet projects is, is trying to understand what what can we add? We already have an agent on the system because we're with OS query, right? Uh, monitoring telemetry about the the actions, the usage of the device, anything that might be suspicious. So if we can use that to grab the software inventory, what we learned, well, you know, could we automate this, right? And we learned that a lot of companies are already consuming vulnerability feeds. So they'll get these CVEs, which are represent like a vulnerability in a piece of software, mm -hmm. come in and they'll have analysts that either with scripts or by hand match up those CVEs to actual software that's installed, whether that's like a Chrome extension or a package running on a server or an app like Figma. And that can definitely be automated. And that's actually something we, we built into Fleet. It's one of the free features of the product. Okay. You know, another finding that I find interesting is multi-factor authentication becoming a top priority for 2022. The reason I find it interesting is I would assume that by now, multi-factor authentication would be a standard. So I get a sense that several of the folks who were sampled in their organization, they were still moving in that direction. They were not quite there yet. And that's when, again, I wonder why the delay in adoption of a security mechanism that is universally accepted to be a very robust protective measure. What are your thoughts? If you've ever played racquetball and you've gone into the to the gym and you look at the the courts and you mm -hmm. see how many of these people are wearing goggles, right? <laughs> I'm no, I'm not wearing the goggles, right? I mean, and there's a, I think a lot of people just anytime when you ask them to do something that isn't in their immediate right now interest, it can be really hard to motivate people to do that because we just don't think that way as humans. So that's I think the psychology is a big factor. But on the other side, vendors, right? They've had to learn to love MFA. I think it's really easy to deprioritize security features like this, especially ones that involve extra UI and, you know, your product manager's like, oh, well, the customers are going to get, have bad experiences getting into the product. Like, we don't want to do that, right? And so it is, I think it was a hard thing to prioritize for a lot of companies until they realized that it helped prevent account sharing. And so I think, I think we've seen a lot more MFA take off from the vendor side as companies realize, hey, this is a way we can actually make more money because we can get people to prove that they are who they say they are. And therefore, you know, it's not two people sharing the same account. Okay. That's a good point. So what were some of the things that you found in the report that got your attention? I mean, I would like to call it, say, unanticipated or unexpected findings. What would that be? Well, one thing we, so we, we actually did a report or we did a, a separate, we basically asked the same questions, right? But to IT respondents mm -hmm. and it was interesting to see how the IT and security respondents answered differently, right? <laughs> the, on the security side, folks were 
far more interested in like uh, enforcing that the configuration of the operating system is secure and appropriate versus on the IT side, like a lot of the challenge is like, yeah, that's great. My security team's asking me to do that. But the challenges were a lot more diverse. The IT side was a lot more aware of how long it took to roll out an MDM. I think they actually said it took three months longer on average than the security respondents did, probably because the security folks saw it three months in, um, in, in the process. And I think the IT folks were more uh, exposed to the actual nitty gritty of, of the migration. And then the other thing was just how much more aware that the IT side of the house was about the challenges of enrollment and trying to hit your enrollment goals and, and some of the pushback that the, that the employees gave when, they're, when they don't necessarily want their devices to have to be under management or monitored. Mm-hmm. You bring up this, this apparent disconnect between the security team and the IT team. And a lot has been written about it and a lot will be. A fundamental question that does always come to my mind is why don't organizations get these people, these teams to work in tandem, work together so that can facilitate implementations? Like when I'm reading this report, I see one of the challenges is effective implementation of MDM tools and platforms. And though this was not explicitly mentioned as a potential success factor, I'm going to put it out there that I think the extent to which security and IT teams can work together and appreciate the significance of what is being done, that would uh, speed up matters. What do you think? I think any time when you have different organizations, departments, teams that have to have a interface point. I mean, this is true in software too, right? If you've ever worked with microservices, you know what it can be like to, there starts to have to be a lot more things you layer on, right? To be able to make sure that that interface point is successful. Maybe you have like an intake process so that the IT team can take requests from security because they're getting asked things from a lot of different stakeholders. And so I think it can be successful with a lot of work, but it also is seeming like more and more that security, you know, on the AppSec side, uh, application security, there's this shift left idea where security is actually infiltrating into the actual software engineering organization and, and making sure that it's like it's like a DevOps stage, right? It's mm-hmm. a, and you could actually make the same argument about design, right? Ha- as, as becoming a DevOps stage for, for user interface design. But for the other part of security, for kind of endpoint security and, and risk management overall, it's starting to, you're starting to see more security engineers and security operations roles live in the IT department. And you're starting to see more IT engineering roles effectively taking on security challenges. And I think that there's an argument to be made that in a couple of years, we're going to see blended IT and security departments. So not going to be all that distinct anymore, other than the risk management aspect and actually crunching the numbers. That is very encouraging. I think that's the first thing I've heard that makes me very optimistic. I'm, it should have happened a long time back, that, but now that you're mentioning that that things are moving in that direction about a blended IT and security department, that sounds awesome. Moving along those lines in terms of facilitating compliance, facilitating implementation, based on your experience, what makes a company better prepared in device management? What are some factors technical, managerial, that, because you will appreciate or agree that there can be a a lot of tools out there. And let's say tool A is highly popular, highly effective, but it may not be effective for an organization that's not ready for that tool, because there is that people process technology alignment that 
is very important to make sure that you realize you get the most out of these platforms and tools. So what 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 would you say to organizations who are interested to get better at device management? How should they prepare themselves? Well, I'll say it depends, but I'll give, you, I'll give you a better answer than that. But I would say the first thing I would do is ask myself, how big are we, right? How do we currently do IT? Is it still part of the engineering organization? Because if so, then, then you know, you're going to have this tendency, if you bring on any security focus is now going to be split between application security and making sure your code is safe and actually looking at your own internal needs. So I think I would look towards where your IT is now, like where, how do your laptops get ordered? How do you keep track of, you know, if you're doing anything for like warranty expiration or how do we recycle laptops? What's our offboarding process look like? And whether that's, you know, a wiki page somewhere or a, like a checklist in, a, in an issue or something, I think jumping off from those human processes and then saying, okay, who's going to own this and what kind of framework are they going to use to solve the entire problem? Um, you know, if you have a team of 30 people already in your security department, well, it's going to be a lot more complicated for you because you've probably already bought a lot of different tools. So I think your success really then comes down to, can we take inventory of what we have and really look at this from first principles? Like, what are we really trying to achieve here? We have a security posture we want to get to. We need to have an accurate inventory. And we need to make sure that we're collecting the right data that we can empower our security team with to like go run and build what they need themselves without having to go ask IT for more and more data every time. You know, you're spot on. And that's part of, you know, comprehensive planning. Unless you know what you what you have that needs to be secured, you really can't make progress. But then as we were discussing, they, the way companies are today, highly distributed with a lot of remote operations, that can be a huge challenge. It's just to keep track of who's using what and whether it's their personal device or it's their organizational device. So, once again, going back to the report where we all talk about preparing for the future of device management, and you have several recommendations, one of which is start managing containers. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So today, you know, more and more companies are moving from, or like, let's say, to look 20 years back, right? Like you would have a server in a, in a closet somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Or in a data center. Then we move to the cloud and you have a, a virtual pretend server that's living in, in AWS, like somewhere in their, in their data centers. And then with containers, you know, we're able to basically let anybody run their own cloud effectively on a container host, whether that's Kubernetes and using Docker, whatever it is. And I think a lot of people assume that because my container image is secure and because the life of my container is short, the risk is relatively low. And it is, right, compared to something that's running for, for weeks and weeks. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody can compromise it for a few minutes. But there are some sticky issues that can still come out of that. And as the reality of what's possible changes, you know, attackers are going to learn to make the most of what they got, right, to mm -hmm. get, get what they want. Exactly. And so if that means your script has to run faster to do an attack, then it will. So I think a lot of companies are looking at moving to, can we monitor each container? Maybe maybe we don't install OS query on every container, although you can, that, and we've seen that. Maybe I install it on the host, or maybe I'm using like kubeQuery on the container host to get more information about Kubernetes as a whole. I think people are realizing the need to have that telemetry and just even just to see what's going on. The other part of this is with, you know, we talked about shadow IT before, and if you have 100 Google Cloud accounts and you're a big company, 
that is a nightmare to keep up with and figure out the billing and just where they're all at. So the other nice side effect of device management, is not just security, like, and especially if we're defining a device as a container, as abstract as that might be, we're giving you a way to see from like a legal and billing and privacy perspective, like where's our data flowing to and, and what all do we have and on what accounts? Yep. And then, you know, another recommendation that, that is made in this report that protect remote workers with zero trust, TLS, and multi-factor authentication. I'd like you to expand on this TLS when, when you all suggest that move away from VPNs to granular proxies with TLS. Uh, can you explain this? Yeah, I'll give you the real short version as I understand it, but I'll point you towards uh, this guy, Richard Stianon has a good book. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of it now, but if you look him up on, uh, on LinkedIn, I'm sure mm -hmm. his book is there where he goes and he just interviews a bunch of IT and security leaders about like, hey, how are you dealing with this specific problem? And if I had to sum it up, it really comes back to it's you used to be in the office or you used to be on a network and we have all this infrastructure we built up as a community to support that use case. Like is if you the idea is if you lock down that perimeter, you're just good. And then it kind of lets us not worry as much about it's similar if you have a code repository and you check in some secrets to it. If you expect that the code's never going to be public, it's like, well, worst thing is insider risk. Somebody takes the token, causes some trouble, whatever. It's not that big of a risk. But I think a lot of people are reevaluating that whole idea in general. And especially once remote work became the unavoidable reality that we all lived with, you know, in the last two years, it's uh, which is 2022 right now for context. So in 2020, everything changed. Um, and remote work had already been a long time coming. So how this all ties together with TLS is if I'm sitting in a Starbucks, right, and I'm uh, I'm on my computer and I log into an HTTP website, even if it's just some little internal thing that no one thought would matter, maybe they didn't want to deal with Let's Encrypt, and I type in anything in plain text and send that in a request over the network, anybody who's sitting there just by nature of how Wi-Fi or any of the link layer protocols work, like I can see those bytes flowing through the air and I can grab those and I can borrow your plain text password or your session ID for as long as I want. But TLS prevents that, right? It gives you a secure tube between your laptop and the place where you're headed that no one can intercept except maybe the certificate authority. Interesting. What does TLS stand for? It's transport layer security. Okay, there you go. Transport layer security. Fantastic. Let's start wrapping things up. It's been a great conversation, great insights. I'd like to give you the opportunity to summarize things, share anything you'd like with the listeners before we call it a day. Yeah, I, th I think I would just, for anyone that's, that's struggling with device management out there, I think I would encourage you to really look at what you're doing right now from first principles. If you're pocketed and part of a big organization, look for ways to find portable formats and solutions that don't lock you in to a particular future and that can work for other people in your company, even if they do have to use a different set of tools. And then lastly, I'd say whether or not you're, you know anything about device management or you're facing these problems, if you're someone who is interested in contributing to open source, Fleet is open source and so is OS Query. We would love to, anything you'd like to add, if you read our docs, it's all online on fleetdm.com um, and you can pop onto GitHub and contribute to everything from the Go back in source code to our React front end to OS Query, which is written in C++, even all the way over to our company handbook, which is public and edits welcome. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thanks again for your time and insights. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. It's fun. 
A special thanks to Mike McNeil for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.